All-time highs for gold in U.S. dollars. Finally, we'll talk about it. Silver, another big week after a 16% run last week. The dollar doing the exact opposite. We'll talk about the dollar. Are the tinfoil hat people right about Bill Gates after all? It's been an interesting week to say the least. We'll definitely talk about that. We'll talk about Amon Bundy supporting Black Lives Matter. That was interesting as all heck to me. We'll talk about tech antitrust, although I think we did that already, if I'm not mistaken, Nick. I am Gerardo Del Real, along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. This is episode 80 of Bizarro World. It's getting harder to keep up, Nick. First and foremost, how are you and your family doing? I'm well, Gerardo. The family's doing good. Uh, lamenting the oldest, getting ready to go back to school and anxious to see how that all plays out. Um, as I know you are with your kids, how are you doing? I am well. I am anxious. That's actually something I also want to talk about. There's some news out of Georgia, um, an outbreak amongst kids that doesn't particularly give me uh, you know, the goosey's in a good way. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. You know, our kids go back to school here in mid-August, but we'll get into that. We'll talk about the Twitter hacker who we now know is a 17-year-old kid from Florida, of course, because all the crazy shit comes out of Florida. But let's get into gold. We closed the week at the 1972 level. Um, I said last week that I believed that by the time we spoke this week, we'd be talking about all-time highs in U.S. dollars, and that certainly proved to be the case. What a week. I know you've been back-to-back-to-back to back to back with you know your multiple newsletters and raising capital for companies, helping raise capital, um, and I know it's just been you know what a bull market looks like when bull markets get running, and so let's get into gold. How are you feeling about the move thus far? And it's still early. I mean, I see you putting out uh, trades as well, uh, writing up companies and companies going up when they announce financings and running north of the financing price, which is uh, something we haven't seen in a while. And and, and people starting to, to call in more about uh, gold and gold stocks. And even someone who writes a, a tech letter hit me up yesterday and said, can we do a call? Um, and answer some questions about people who are writing into this letter about silver stocks. And so, um, yeah, when you got tech newsletter guys hitting you up saying that their people want to know about silver stocks, that's sort of uh, as blatant an indication as you can get. And I'm feeling good about gold. I think you and I concurred that all-time highs were on the way. We had, um, I don't know, gone sideways or gained a little bit of energy, just enough there to, to push up to all-time highs. And that Felt good. I don't think we've seen anything yet. I don't pretend to know what the exact trajectory is going to be, but um, I feel really, really good about uh, where we are and a lot of projects I'm invested in at these prices and even uh, lower than these prices. And so, um, gosh, we were saying last week that if you were writing a script for, for bullish gold, this is exactly what it would look like. And it continues to play out. Uh, and we'll talk about more of it, I'm sure. Uh, bond yields ticking down, dollar ticking down, uh, gold higher, obviously. And so um, we're right in the thick of it and, and trying to keep up, as you say. Let's get into what may interfere or alter the way that script plays out. And, you know, Martin Armstrong is somebody that says a lot of things that I don't agree with um, when it comes to his views about society and when it comes to his views about certain aspects aspects of the political spectrum. With that being said, I lean more towards the libertarian side of it. I am for small government. I don't care for bailouts. I don't care for government in my bedroom. I don't care for government anywhere other than what society needs to function productively. And I think we're way past that. Martin tends to lean a little more, you know, a lot more conservative um, in, in a strict sense. You know, he's older, he's in his mid seventies. Um, so on that aspect of it, I don't agree with a lot of it, but you know, his forecasting has been top notch and he wrote something this week 
um, that, that, that offers a really good global perspective from a currency basis on where gold is and just, you know, a, a, a possible, possible, um, warning about the next several months. And, 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 and basically what he said is yes, we've broken out in all time highs here in us dollars. But if we look at gold and euros that actually peaked, that price peaked the week of April 13th, 2020, right this year. The same with the Australian dollar. We've made new highs in Swiss, Japanese, and Canadian. And so all of that is going according to plan. But this latest 100 to $200 move in the gold price is directly correlated, and it hasn't been up until this point. This is where I think this, it, it's a good insight. It's directly correlated with the weakness in the dollar, which is now at 93.47. And so the warning was, be careful if what happens, what I think will happen with Europe, which is the euro, the euro will break, I, I, I still think they're ripe for a huge um, either banking default or a break of their, you know, the bond market, something. It's just, it's not sustainable what's going on over there. And if that happens, you can see capital fleeing into the dollar. And, and this is why, this goes back to something I've said for years, right? Why I believe in order for, for gold to have a true sustainable gold bull market, which I believe we're in, we're going to need a higher U.S. stock market, a higher dollar, and a higher gold price. I believe that's happening regardless of how it plays out in Europe, but I could see a scenario September, October, November, with elections coming up here in the U.S., where something breaks in Europe and all of a sudden you have the inverse of what's going on now. You have capital leaving the euro, rushing into the U.S., rushing into treasuries, rushing into the dollar. And how the dollar holds up, if that happens, will be absolutely critical to do we see $3,000 gold in the next six months or do we have gold pull back you know, to that $1,800 support level, which as crazy as it seems now seems to be the new floor. There's, there's technical support from 18, 1820 to 1870, all the way on up. And so again, if that's the worst case scenario for us, we're in great shape in the gold space, but I think it's important for us to, you know, here in the U S not just look at things from a dollar gold perspective. I think a global perspective is, is important. And I think Martin Armstrong does as good a job as anybody that I know out there in, um, in tracking capital flows. So I say all that to say that, yes, it feels fantastic to have gold at 1972. It feels great to do a private placement at three cents and see it go to 23 cents. And, you know, the paperwork isn't even, you know, completely cleared yet in some cases with some of these financings. Um, but, you know, beware and, and be cautious and, and be mindful that, I do believe this latest rally in the gold price is due to the weakness in the dollar. Um, and of course, we know the rest of it. We know institutional demand is increasing. Um, but yeah, that's 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 my rant on, on gold and the dollar and just a warning there. And I think it's a good one. I think that many of us who've watched the space for a while and tend to bill ourselves as contrarian have expressed uh, our concern at how fast it, the gold price went up and how fast some of these uh, gold stocks have, have gone up alongside them. I've written to expect pullbacks, not for it to go straight up. And, um, you know, the dollar really has fallen precipitously since May. I, for one, didn't expect it to fall like it has. And for the conversation to switch from deflation to inflation so quickly. Uh, but nonetheless, that's exactly what has happened. And I was just looking at the DXY chart yesterday when I was writing the weekly letter early advantage and I couldn't f foresee I had no insight anything as to where the chart was going next I think I wrote to, you know I don't know if it's falling off into jagged rocks or it's going to land on a trampoline I think is something I wrote to that effect and so I too can see that scenario right where uh the dollar that turns itself back around what was um you know, Martin's forecast for for gold, was he saying that um, if you that, that pullback materializes, it's to like the, the 1800 level, like you're saying, because, uh, you know, that's sort of what I meant by I'm, I'm feeling good about where we're at. I mean, yeah, sure, absolutely. it feels good to hit a, hit a record, but uh, it feels good to know that even a pullback is um, several hundred dollars above where many of the companies 
uh, your long-term holdings have done their their economic studies at the, the price inputs, right? Absolutely. And so here here is the forecast. And again, I I encourage everybody. I don't I don't I don't mean to freeload off the guy's work. I want to make sure that I'm giving him credit. Um, you know, the, the, the website I'll, I'll get, we'll put up a link to the website to where you can go. And he's got some subscription based stuff that is really, really sharp as far as forecasting. But, you know, he, he believes that in, in, in terms of gold nearest futures, you know, you have, you have support at 1893, you have support, um, between 1841 and 1854 and then 1800. I mean, you know, you got to break through both 1893 and the 1841 and 1854 level just to get down to 1800. And again, if that's the new floor, (laughs) you know, we're, we're, we're just getting started, just getting started. And, um, that is as exciting to me. I agree with you, Nick, as the fact that we broke out to new all time highs. And that's kind of what I'm trying to emphasize is more importantly, we're putting in some technical support that just two months ago, we, you know, we would cross fingers and toes for, right? Oh, goodness. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, no, uh, point well taken. You know, the election is going to play a role in what the dollar does. Republicans want to spend one trillion. Democrats want to spend three trillion. This still isn't stimulus, by the way. This is still relief, delayed relief, by the way, because they can't seem um, to agree about where to spend and how much to spend. They just agree on the fact that both sides want to spend. And once again, you know, the holdup isn't really about the people, right? One of the most contentious issues is about liability for businesses. Um, and and I actually agree with Mr. McConnell, right? I, I believe that if you're going to reopen um, eventually, because we have to, and we, that's a whole other conversation, but if you're going to reopen, you can't put small businesses or big businesses in jeopardy of being sued by anyone that gets sick because it's going to be impossible to track um, how the sure. person, right? I mean, I mean, it's just common sense. And so I agree with that aspect of it. I, I, I think it's a good point brought up with him and I don't like a lot of his politics, but um, again, I'm, I'm big on ideas. I really don't care who they come from, to be honest with you. Um, I think that's a great idea. And I, I hope that's something that the other side um, is, is, is able to compromise on. And, you know, here we are, it's July the 31st, um, the eviction moratorium, um, which I didn't agree with. Cause again, I'm not a bailout guy. I don't, I'm, I'm not a fan, but that's expired. Um, there, you know, you have, you have people who cannot pay their rent because they cannot go to work, um, and companies and, and landlords. And I'm a landlord. I have, you know, multiple properties, um, Oh, here, Mexico, Alaska, you name it. And, and, you know, as a landlord, I want my, I want my rent so I can make sure that the mortgage is taken care of. And I'm fortunate enough to not depend on that, but everybody isn't as fortunate. And so, you know, again, it's been a shit show when it comes to leadership in this country from both sides, this administration, again, all this is happening, no matter who you blame mask or COVID-19 or whoever, this is all happening under the watch of the Trump administration. And so however you feel like voting, that's your business and I respect it. But be clear that if you're going to blame all of this on someone, the blame goes to the people in charge. That's just the way it works. That's the way it works. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see how things play out. You and I were talking about, you know, you you, you have your youngest that'll be starting school. I have two that are still in school. And, you know, there's a report now here in the Washington Post out of Georgia, that there's a COVID-19 outbreak at an overnight camp in Georgia, which infected at least 260 campers and staff. Now, here's the part that troubled me as a parent. 51% of those positive tests were between the ages of 6 and 10. 44% were between the ages of 11 and 17 years old. And so there there wasn't a requirement for masks when it came to the staff, or, or let, let me take that back. There was a requirement that staff wear masks, but not the campers. And so out of the 597 campers and staff, 344 were tested and 76% of those tests were positive. 26% of the positives reported no symptoms. That, I was just ask about the symptoms. What was that number again? 26% of the positive tests reported no symptoms. So three quarters had symptoms, in other words. Correct. 
and 95% were kids between the ages of six and 17. Uh, guys, like, you know, as, as, as a country, as a parent, as somebody that, I, you know, this, 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 this is not good. And, and I mean, this isn't a sample size of five or 10 or 20. Yeah. 597 campers and staff and 344 tested. It's a pretty damn good sample size. From everything I've read so far, and I'm careful because again, we're not I'm doctors. Not a, exactly, you know. Um, As am it I, seems right? it seems like kids have not exhibited symptoms at that rate, at that 75 percent rate that that you were just talking about. It seems like um, they're less symptomatic on the on the whole, and so if that many of the group were showing symptoms, and I'd be interested to hear how severe. Uh, then that would be very interesting to me because my understanding of this virus so far is that um, kids can uh, carry it and transmit it, but on the on the whole have largely been affected, uh, unaffected symptom-wise. And so um, I, I have to read more about that story, but the, the, the kids are a big piece of this and, and getting back to normal is obviously the, the piece to this. And so... Um, I don't know, I guess it's a good conversation to have because you look at something like Major League Baseball, which we were just talking about last week, um, trying to get back to some sort of normal. And uh, right off, right out of the gate, you got m- multiple members of the Marlins uh, testing positive and then uh, multiple games canceled. And then other teams saying, hey, the schedule is now already jacked up. Is this season even valid? Are we going to be able to finish and that's sort of you know what i've been talking to my parents and my wife about but as far as the kids going to school like what happens when you know one of the teachers gets it what happens when one of the kids gets it how long are they going to have to shut down what's the protocol going to be and um i think after thinking about all that and and you know putting it through the synthesizer and now having dealt with this for um, you know, it's August, right, Gerardo? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think that I'm erring more and more towards not getting back to normal, but, um, you know, controlled, controlled getting back to normal and just putting out fires and such where they arise. Because the other thing that I'll say, and then you can tell me I'm stupid or I'm wrong, is that it seems like this thing is going to be with us for a long time. And it seems like um, it's changing. And as you and I have talked about even months ago, the virus hopes are aspirational. Um, the the vaccine hopes. It, the vaccine hopes. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, the yeah. vaccine hopes. Exactly right. <laughs> the virus hopes to, are not aspirational. <laughs> to, to think that we're going to get it by uh, the end of the year or early next year. And so um, I'm not sure what the point is I'm trying to make, but I think we're just we're going to have to push toward control, getting, getting back to not at risk groups here. I'm talking about, you know, uh, not people with other conditions, not in the age groups, et cetera. And, um, you know, getting towards uh, herd immunity and learning how and uh, to best deal with this uh, as we get back to normal, of course, wearing masks and of course, distancing. But um, what's the alternative? I mean, we all stay in our houses forever. I mean, right? Yeah. And look, you know, there's, there's, there's a, a, the social aspect when it comes to the kids as well. I mean, even the CDC is acknowledging that, you know, there, there, there are significant public health consequences for kids if schools don't reopen in the fall. Right. I mean, there's millions of kids that get nutritional and mental health services at the schools. Um, You know, there, there, there's, there's, drug use disorder, as well as suicide in adolescent individuals that's not getting taken care of. You know, we're fortunate to not, you know, not, not, not have our kids being in an environment that's abusive. It's supportive and it's loving and it's nurturing, but you know what? Uh, (laughs) I didn't grow up in the most stable of homes at all times. Right. And, and going to school was a relief and having that lunch was a relief and, and having that, you know, being able to socialize with friends at times was, was, was a relief. And I, I can't imagine for kids that don't have supportive homes or supportive parents or they come from a broken home um, or are in like foster care, for example, having to sit another year. Mm-hmm. Ha- and so, I mean, there's so much. None of this is easy. Um, Dr. Fauci, 
testified this week again that he is he's incredibly optimistic that before year end we have a vaccine. But again, you and I aren't doctors, but we know viruses change. They mutate. They do different things. And so it, a lot of tough questions. You know, I've, I've had some uh, listeners of the podcast send in some good articles. I haven't responded, but I have read and listened. So I appreciate that. Keep sending those in. Um, you know, just trying to have a conversation here and trying to do the right thing. But it's tough. It's tough. It's, it's There are no easy answers on this one. No, and I think common sense goes a long way. And unfortunately, there hasn't been an abundance of, of common sense around. And, and those that have taken common sense precautions, um, I, I think, are have, have turned out and, and are doing okay. And so, you know, I certainly... Um, and, and not an anti-masker, <laughs> and I don't think we should run headlong back into, you know, restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I'm not one of these kill my grandma for the economy people, but, um, you know, selective controlled reopening is going to have to be the path forward. Otherwise, like you say, the, the other consequences are going to, um, you know, have more impact, right? Agreed. Agreed. Let's uh let let's go back to the markets for a little bit, and then we'll talk Bill Gates and why the tinfoil hat people might be onto something here. Um, silver, you know, silver was up sixteen percent um, last week when we talked about it. So you know, two weeks ago now, and and this week, you know, it went from twenty two seventy to over twenty four thirty five. Um, another impressive week, and again, the trading action. Every time gold and silver got pushed down in overnight trading, it came back and was extremely resilient. Um. So you got to like the trading action in silver. I I like the trading action in silver. How are you feeling about that? So, you know, the silver stocks uh, move very fast. And so I obviously uh, like that. And I've been um, fortunate to uh, pick some at good times, whether that was MAG earlier in the year or like Hecla, which we talked about on the, the podcast, I believe it was. Um, last week. And so um, I certainly uh, like silver. I like the velocity with which it moves, but I'm not married to, uh, well, any metal for one, but I'm not married to the reasons people like silver, like some are. We've also talked about silver stackers, right? And um, I don't know what you're going to talk about, the conspiracy theory. But, uh, there's, there's a lot of people that like silver for... Um, doom reasons and conspiratorial reasons, um, et cetera. That aside, um, I like I like where, where silver is and I'm looking for uh, more silver plays. And I guess that's, that's about it. But, um, you know, it, it, we always say that you know, it moves later but faster. And I think you're uh, might be about to see some of that. I absolutely agree. Um, let's get to my Bill Gates conspiracy theory. So, you know, one of the things where I, I mentioned Martin Armstrong and I mentioned mentioned that societally he has some opinions that I think are, are a little bit extreme and, you know, maybe I'm wrong and, you know, it is what it is. But one of his big, you know, themes is he thinks Bill Gates is, you know, trying to microchip us and, and send us off the deep end and, and you know, um, further socialism, which is funny given what the Trump administration and both sides of the aisle have done to this country as far as policy goes, whether it's economic or social policy, another discussion for another day. But that, that you know, I don't do, do, do I believe that Bill Gates is using his wealth to advance his wealth by trying to beat every pharmaceutical company to the punch and come up with a vaccine? Absolutely. Because I believe Bill Gates to be the capital capitalist that he's shown himself to be, right? Um, but but do I think that he's got some nefarious Dr. Evil plot to get this vaccine in us that, you know, <laughs> we end up growing another head and an extra arm and, and however you feel about that, you know, not intended, uh, the vaccine ends up being not what we intended it to be. No, I don't, I, I don't believe there's a nefarious plot to do that. However, it's interesting to me that right before we get on this podcast, you know, we've seen the escalation between the U.S. and China and the rhetoric there. And, you know, it, it's obviously going in one direction. Um, tensions have been heightened and, and continue to be. Um, 
the U.S., the Department of Defense has has come out and said that, you know, TikTok is a national security threat because of the way that the app is structured and the information it can collect and, and how concerning that is. They actually said TikTok poses a threat to national security. So what headline breaks just as we come on to do this podcast? Microsoft said to be in talks to buy TikTok. Just as Trump is considering banning this thing, and now I understand that Bill Gates stepped away from Microsoft and removed himself magically from the board months ago to make sure that there were no appearances of impropriety as he went to develop his vaccine work, right? And again, him and Melinda Gates have done a lot of work that I am a huge fan of. They, 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 they almost single-handedly got rid of malaria in a very cheap and effective and efficient common sense manner. But I can't help but believe a little bit, Nick, that, that you know, the China connection with TikTok and the escalation of tensions between the U.S. and China and this rush for the vaccine are, so, vaccine are somehow related. I don't know how. Um, I, I can't tell you. I'm not that smart. I'm not, I'm not privy to this, right? I don't run in those circles. Um, but it just all seems odd to me. I don't know. Something there is off to me. Why the rush to come in and buy it now? Well, especially if it's a national security threat, and threat, and what would the the government have to say about that, right? I mean, they would have to obviously get approval to make the acquisition. And given what's going on with uh, Huawei and the Trump's administration's the Trump administration's position on China and spying and using technology to do so. Um, you have to to wonder what that's all about. And again, I, you said it just happened before the podcast. I don't know the details unless it involves some sort of, you know, entire overhaul or restructuring of the app to bring it into American ownership. So it didn't pose a threat. But again, um, nor uh, neither am I smart enough to tell you what that has to do with uh, Bill Gates and uh, his quest for a vaccine and and COVID, right? So here's where my conspiracy theorist tinfoil hat brain kicks in again, Nick. And you, 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 you actually touched on it. So let's say, and again, I'm speculating a whole lot because let's have fun. It's a podcast, right? It's free. You're going to get your money's worth people. I promise you. Um, let's say that TikTok is a national security threat, right? Let's say that the way it's designed is, is, is can be manipulated in so many different ways for so many different things that it really does truly pose a threat. Am I supposed to believe that if Microsoft comes in and Americanizes it, that the threat has been neutralized? Sure, they're all- just using it for their advantage. Right, and that's my point. And so again, I don't know how it all correlates. I don't know how it all ties in. Maybe Martin knows. Maybe Martin is on to you know, something that... that you know, he understands and he's playing, you know, three-dimensional chess and and, and, and sees it all. But I, I would love for him to, to to opine on it. And if he does, I'll come back to you because I think it's uh I, I, I think there's a lot of interesting angles there. Well, I got something to think about uh over the over the over the weekend. Here's something else to think about. Keep my tinfoil hat on, although this one isn't a conspiracy. This actually happened. Eastman Kodak. Are you familiar with the stock? I'm sure you saw it. Gerardo, I've been to the facility in Rochester. There you go. Talk your shit, Nick. Tell him about it. It's the world famous Nick Hodge, everybody. Who do you think we got on here? So of course you've been a- to the facility. <laughs> so I'm sure you saw that the company was bankrupt for all intents and purposes, right? It was bankrupt. It was done. It was a hundred $100 million market cap for perspective. Right. And then magically, magically... On Tuesday, we find out that the government, meaning us taxpayers, one way or the other, was going to extend a loan of $765 million. Seven times the market cap. Seven times the market cap to begin drug production. Kodak doesn't produce drugs. Kodak doesn't (laughs) produce drugs. Kodak doesn't produce drug manufacturing equipment. Kodak doesn't produce drug manufacturing equipment. Guys, if you have pristine credit 
and you want to go get a mortgage loan because you want to take advantage of those 2.88% interest rates and 3.5% on the jumbo loans, boy, the hoops you got to jump through. It's not impossible, but it better be pristine credit or you're not getting it, buddy, because we're in the midst of a pandemic. But these guys were able to get a $765 million loan to do something they don't do? Corporate tell stock, socialism. Tell, tell them about the stock purchases. I'm sure you know. Oh, God. You tell them because that one pisses me off, Nick. I, I mean, I don't have the names or the numbers in front of me. Uh, I didn't know we were going to go all the way down the story. But, you know, they were buying stock before in the weeks before the announcement was made. And so people that had to disclose, yes, but also, I mean, the volume was up, right? I mean, it's just like a junior mining loose lips thing, right? I mean, why was the volume up in the weeks preceding on this dead as a doornail stock, right? I mean, unless you know that this loan is coming and then uh, the amount that the stock went up, uh, people made hundreds of millions of dollars and hopefully the SEC has already opened investigations um, and people in Rochester are, are going to start talking and taking their tipster for taking their, their tip money for turning in insider traders, because, I mean, that's just the, the perfect uh, snapshot of crony capitalism. I mean, there's no other way to slice it. It went from $2 to $60 in a week. In a week. Yeah, and the ins- I mean, and the insider buying was just absolutely nasty it looks no good it looks like a lot of felonies is what it looks like i don't know if you've read the ben hunt thing from epsilon theory about it but i'll put up a link it was pretty good i mean they don't even have the expertise to do what they got the loan for the ceos does not even in the medical field or the film field or anything the ceo is like a marketing dude so um yeah no total cronyism the CEO bought 47,000 shares of his own company's stock on June the 23rd. Exactly. As a result, Mr. Continenza, Jim Continenza, made a profit. Good strong Italian name. Thank you, sir. Of more, he made a profit of more than $200 million over the course of two days this week. Now, we don't know if he tapped it and sold it, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and it also turns out that Kodak reps... Um, had accidentally told reporters about the loan a day before it was fu- public and forgot to embargo it. Oops. Mm-hmm. You try that at home, folks. Crazy times. Interesting times. Another um, bizarre, though, it, it actually makes sense if you're a rational thinking human being who can differentiate between, say, in Black Lives Matter because they fucking do, and, 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 and also, at the same time, entertain the thought that Black Lives Matter as a political organization is a completely different vehicle. And there's some issues there, right? And 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 again, when I say Black Lives Matter and, I, and, and I'm in support of the protesters protesting peacefully because the Constitution grants protesters that right peacefully, um, you're absolutely right. I support all of that. Um, if you commit a crime during the protest, there's laws for that. You should be arrested. You should be prosecuted. That is what it is. But it was interesting to me that Aman Bundy um, came out with a video explaining that he is fully behind. Um, you know, he pledged solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. Again, not the organization, the movement. Um, and and I'm, I'm going to read this and it's going to be a little long, but it's, it's, it's just well articulated. He said, if you only see... Actually, let me back up. Let me provide some context because we have people that, you know, from all around the world who may not know who this gentleman is. Um, he is what he's he's a described radical Mormon separatist who led an armed takeover of a wildlife refuge back in 2016. This was a big deal here in the U.S. Um, and it was, you know, it was kind of a, a protest um, for a friend that was serving some prison time. And anyhow, he's he's in favor of defunding the police. There was a big standoff with with authorities. Um, they wouldn't back down. It was an armed standoff. It lasted over a month and a half. Um, they were arrested. One of the people that was involved on his side of it, on Mr. Bundy's side, a friend of his, an associate, was killed by federal authorities. Um, they were charged with felonies. They took it to trial. They beat it. They were they were acquitted. 
And so here we are, we fast forward four years later and his post I thought was incredibly insightful. He says, look, if you only see Black Lives Matter people as the enemy, then you're getting played. And Black Lives Matter people are getting played big time. The vast majority of Black Lives Matter supporters don't want socialism or communism or any of that. He says, yes, I am not ignorant. I understand what the BLM organization represents, who runs it, who finances it, and what their goal is. I'm fully aware. But the average person who wears or supports Black Lives Matter, wears a Black Lives Matter shirt and supports the movement and comes to a rally just wants black people to be able to be safe and not have fear that cops are going to abuse them. You have to be smart enough to make a distinction between the national organization of the BLM and the average BLM supporter who is ignorant to what the organization is really all about or is just looking to support the movement, not the organization. If you can't make that distinction, then you're just as ignorant as they are. And so I love this for a number of reasons. He went on and I'll, I'll, we'll put the link up, but you know, he, he talked about how he's personally been abused by police. He says, my family has been abused by police. My brother was shot by police and my, and my friend was killed by police. Thousands of Americans have been abused by police. And I'm talking about innocent people. Why is it so hard for us to unify around this cause? says, I'm never going to believe in socialism or communism or have my mind infected by liberals because I held up a sign at a BLM rally, but I just might set the foundation for unity with some of them on their side. And he talks about common denominators and using common sense. It was a well thought out post, well articulated. There's a video going around as well. And I just, I like this for a number of reasons. One, you know, um, Mr. Bundy is, you know, as I mentioned, a separatist, heavily armed, believes in freedom, believes in being left alone, believes in a lot of the same things that I believe in. There's things we disagree on. Of course, you can do that. And that's his point. We shouldn't have to look the same or pledge allegiance to a political party or, or, or you know, come from a certain income class for us to be able to find mutual points of interest and collaborate in ways that are helpful to society. And where we disagree, we should be able to do so civilly and not infringe upon each other's freedom. I don't get why that's so hard either. I thought it was a beautiful post. I thought it was uh, timely, of course, and uh, it, it was real interesting to see a lot of the traditional hardcore people from the right lose their shit about it. Well, um, a lot of things to say. That was uh, well put and articulate what he said, and uh, I happen to agree with him. Um, and uh, a couple of things I want to say. Um, where do I want to start? One, we've been saying for a while that uh, this is beyond race anyway. There's um, larger issues at hand as far as uh, a two-tier justice system and um, vastly disparate wealth inequality that's fostered by the way the system is maintained as far as um, central banking and um, corporatism. And so all of those animosity against all those things is um, just beneath the surface of not only the BLM protests, not the organization, the protests, as he Correct. made the distinction, but also just below the surface of, um, and I'm not going to speak for him, but as I interpret it, things that uh, Mr. Bundy himself is against and um, now I'm going to take it to libertarianism because I saw something funny today and I've been thinking this for a while. Um, if you're a libertarian, you're against uh, as well, right? In, intrusion by the state, collusion with the state uh, and, and corporations, bailing out of uh, corporations. That's all like super uh, anti-libertarian and like. Yes. Um, <laughs> And we've been saying this for years before any of this broke out. We've been telling you all about the fourth turning. This isn't, we didn't get woke when this all popped off, everyone. You go back to episode one. Right. And so I'm telling you, there's a lot of people. I keep hearing about this silent majority that's for Trump. <laughs> and I'm telling you, this silent majority is the, is the common bond that between BLM and Amon Bundy. Like, that's the silent majority. I'm telling you. And- um, I was going to talk about militias for a second mm. because um, you've seen a lot of militias uh, really the most since the Amon Bundy thing went down a couple of years ago, whether that's 
um, people marching in Michigan on the state house. Um, or Which I supported. Absolutely. They had every right pro- to do it. Protecting statues here and there. But then you see um, these militias coming out to like back up the police in, in the protest. You've seen this, mm-hmm. I'm sure. That's a different uh, thing, so yeah. When I see this, and I see some of them flying like the don't tread on me flag, I'm just wondering how they got so far off track in their beliefs that they're flying don't tread on me flags and supporting the police against the protesters. Against the people treading on you. Exactly right, man. And so when I saw the Amon Bundy thing, I was like, well, he totally gets it, obviously, because... You know, if he's libertarian leaning and these people are against the police, like libertarians are against police coming into your house and killing you in your sleep. Right. And so, of course, they're on the same side as BLM because it's not just a race thing. Like I've been saying, it's a X, Y, Z thing. All those things that I just said Um, and anyone, at least as I see it, um, with a with a centered moral compass and a. Uh, unkiltered worldview has to see that, right? You would think. I love how he ended this. He says, I want to bring attention to the fact that our police agencies are giant bloated bureaucracies full of unimaginable waste and corruption, and it needs to be fixed. Saying that we need to eliminate waste and corruption in our police agencies is not the same as supporting the abolition of police. Exactly. And it was well said. And then he goes on, I have to, I have to read it. It's it's important, but I know that people will hear what they want to hear and not what you actually say. Fake news and professional spinsters who are just liars will write false headlines to spread lies and say things like Amon Bundy aligns with the BLM in an effort to defund the police. And ignorant people will read those headlines and think that I hate cops and want to abolish the police or something like that. Like I already said, nothing can be further from the truth. What I want is what most rational and free-thinking people want. I want freedom to live the life that I want without fear of my government oppressing me or physically assaulting me. Patriots want that. And guess what? Many people within the BLM movement just want the same thing. They're not all communists. Well said. And and it's why you had uh, protests in over a thousand U.S. Uh, cities and towns, many of them that were uh, not predominantly black by demographic. You had white towns going out for these protests because there's a tie that binds and it's um, and it's going the other direction. I mean, I don't know how else it is to say that. That's what the turning is all about. Right. It takes a long time, but um, it, it, it happens. And so, uh, you know, I was going to put on the sheet to talk about this week. And it wasn't really an idea. It's just that I, I see the tide starting to go the other way. It's sort of like we've we've jumped the shark or we've reached like peak bizarro with this. I don't know. Just the past couple of weeks, it seems like. Um, and I think with peak bizarro is great. <laughs> exactly. Right. Because when you have uh, Amon Bundy coming out and supporting BLM, I mean, what else do you call that? Right. And remember, I was talking about. Um, how out of intense complexity, intense simplicity yes. emerges. Like um, that's a pretty in- it- intensely simple when you just listen to the man's words there, right? Absolutely, chaos theory, right? Look it up, everybody. It's 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 yeah. where it's where we're at. It's where we're at. Um, so anyhow, I I thought that was incredibly insightful. I thought it was important. I thought it was timely. Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I I, I think it's. Um, you know, I think the turning is turning into a wave, no pun intended, right? Yeah, for sure. All right, Nick. That's why I'm interested um, to see this election results. I'm very interested. Oh, well, you know, it, it, you know, the election results won't be real for, you know, either side, right? I, because we yep, managed to politicize that. fucking mail-in ballots now. <laughs> Nobody knows what the fuck they're talking about when it comes to mail-in ballots. But everybody knows it's a rigged election. It hasn't even happened yet. It's so stupid because, um, (laughs) and I didn't really honestly know this before I moved to Washington, and I'm pretty sure we've talked about this on the podcast because I always went and stood in line for three fucking hours in Maryland to cast my vote. Uh, In Maryland, in Washington, you just check the boxes and stick it in the mail. Like states do it all the time. It's not a big deal. I don't understand this at all. It doesn't make sense to me. You know who else does it that way? (laughs) Like the rest of the world. 
Donald Trump does it that way. Yeah, I know. I Come know on, everybody. Trump. You can't crazy, make this man. stuff up, guys. If I made it up, you all would write in and email. And, and, and I enjoy, you know, the feedback and the banter when, when it's civil. Um, and you would write in, you'd say, you know, that's crazy. That could never happen. You know, what kind of parody is this, right? There was a movie from a few years back called Idiocracy. And it was oh, a yeah. satire. And like now it's like a documentary. <laughs> it's crazy times, man. Yeah, it's crazy, man. <laughs> Anyhow, let's get let, let, let's wrap it up with the markets, Nick. Um, it, hey, look, there's no other way to put it. It's been a heck of a week. It's um, it's it, it's the kind of week where if all you've been doing is resource stocks for four years, five years, ten years, fifteen years, however long, but you have your finger on the pulse, it's um, it's 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 like shooting fish in a barrel, right? Making money is not hard right now. We talked last week about how it's going to start being a stock pickers game. And how Frank- Mr. Dides, what did hey, Mr. Dides say? You can pull it up. Pull it buy up. Buy the stock. If, I don't have it in front of me, but buy this stock, buy silver stocks if you like money, right? Yes, buy it because of the technical chart and do, 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 or if you like money, right? <laughs> and, and, and so that is, is, is somewhat still the case. But as we said last week, there's also a lot of names that you're starting to see this week. Gold went up and those names pulled back. And the reason they pulled back is because some of these names don't deserve the market caps they have um, for, for, for what they've been able to demonstrate. So I say all that to say that knowing what you're doing again is going to make this next stage maybe even as maybe even more profitable than the initial stage where everything just went up because there's a lot of companies that I'm looking at. And, you know, I just sent out alerts literally 20 minutes ago to subscribers and a new issue for both letters. But, you know, talking about that and talking about the process and talking about, you know, how you have to know when to rotate out of a name that you may still love and like and support mid to long term, but you you need to be able to pivot to some of the names that, you know, have two and three time potential, uh, you know, two and 300% potential here in the next month. Um, that's how you maximize gains in this in this in this market in this cycle, everyone. And I'm I'm seeing again a lot of these so-called experts um, running out of ideas, just you know, pumping and promoting and talking about whatever word you want to use. The same stocks, the stocks that are already up a thousand percent. Nothing wrong with that, and you should celebrate those wins. And you know, we can. <laughs> I, I I root for everybody in the space, regardless of how I feel about them personally, because it's good to deliver winners to subscribers. We should all want that. But this next leg up is going to be a bit different. And and it, it, it really is time to know what you're doing. And if you don't, you should reach out to people that do. You know anybody like that, Jordan? Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> one or two. I hang out with smart friends like Nick Hodge and, you know, we, we make it work somehow. We make it work somehow. So anyhow. Well, speaking, and- of smart, speaking of smart friends, before we wrap it up, because I know we're getting there. I had I got to ask you about Rarex because I had it on there last week. And I don't think we got to it. I don't believe we did anyway. And so I don't want to get another week without um, getting some words from you on rare earths because uh, two things. Um, well, a couple of things, I guess. Um, one is commodities are starting to go up in rare earths or commodities. So uh, that's one thing. Uh, two is the whole ch- China thing, which is uh, the, the reason that rare earths have, have done what they've done over time. Um, and then uh, the last thing is there's big money starting to to talk about rare earths in the form of um, what is that called? Like a special vehicle uh, IPO, a special purpose vehicle IPO that's coming um, with with quite a high valuation that's going to take the, the mountain pass asset uh, public. Right. And so, you know, much more about rare earths than I do, but uh the stocks are going up and I wanted to get a couple words. Yeah, no, they're moving. And again, you know, being around for that 2010, 2011, 2012 run that I was a part of, I mean, you know, I've talked about it before. I had companies that I was buying at 24 cents that went to 18 bucks. I had companies I was buying at eight cents that went, you know, to nine, ten dollars And so let me tell you what I'm seeing. The, the, the rare earth metals firm that you are citing is called MP Materials. And they are taking the Mountain Pass asset and they are going public uh, via a blank check company. There are some incredibly well-connected financiers, very intelligent financiers that are behind that. And, and you know that's true um, because the, the, the valuation is coming in at a, a billion and a half. And so, 
you know, keep in mind, Mountain Pass is a, 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 a mine that went bankrupt during the last rare earth boom and bust cycle um, and, and, and was privatized. And so here's what I'm seeing. The tensions between the U.S. and China are real. Um, they will continue to be because China believes, and maybe maybe rightfully so, that the U.S. is vulnerable. We're at we're at a point historically where economically and politically and socially there's weaknesses, there's vulnerabilities that can be exploited if you do so in a methodical manner. Um, and 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 you know controlling um, the critical metal supply chain and and knowing when to apply that pressure is something that, look, China's weaponized rare earths and their supply chain, and it's why Europe is in such a hurry to develop an independent critical metal supply chain. It's why Japan continues, you know, to try to break China's grip on rare earth production. It's why, you know, Silicon Money Valley money is, is coming into the tune of, you know, hundreds of millions and billions of dollars um, to try to nationalize, that's that's the word that I'm going to use, um, the rare earth production and, and create a domestic supply chain here in the U.S. So all of that is great to see. However, if I do a quick rare earths Google search and I click on news, every headline, the top 10 headlines that I see are headlines about the same assets and the same companies and the same players just with different names as, 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 as it, it's just like it was back in 2010. Um, let me do it. Let, let's do a real time exercise, exercise, rare earths, Google news. All right. Rare earths company jumps 38.46% yesterday as the world searches for a NA supply. Let's see. U S finds its Chinese rare earth dependency hard to break. U.S. and Japan, in the words I just used, seeking to break China's grip on rare earth production. Linus to advance. You haven't heard about them for a while. I have because I've been following the story. But again, go back to 2010. Linus to advance U.S. rare earth's plan on Pentagon funding deal. And the last one, rare earth. There it is. Rare earth metals firm MP Materials to go public. Um, so it's... We still got a giant thing in Nebraska too. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's there's there, there's still all sorts of stuff. And look, there's some real assets out there, right? There's a company that's a sponsor on Resource Stock Digest, Medallion Resources, um, that 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 is done well, right? This is a company that, if I look at a chart, I believe was somewhere in the five and six cent range. And last I checked, and again, real time exercise, it closed. Holy fuck! I didn't even see the move today. Did you know it was up forty eight percent today? Not today, no. It's at twenty eight cents now. You know, and again, they have what they believe um, an important puzzle piece in, in in the way of technology that can help expedite, you know, taking taking feedstock from A, processing it and turning it into, you know, rare earths, stuff that's valuable. And so, you know, we'll see how that plays out. The market clearly, clearly is favoring companies that are involved, that have some sort of edge. And many times, often, companies that have tried and failed to do this many times over. And, and again, it's hot right now. So here's something, here, here's a free name for those of you out there listening. And I promise that you would get your money's worth on this free podcast. Here is some free, free due diligence advice. Go look at Leading Edge Materials. This is a company that I've covered for years, years. And I believe that their Nora Shar asset, which has been environmentally challenged in the past, but now has a top-notch, well-connected team that's familiar with the local politics and how to maneuver around those, um, I think they'll be able to develop what was once valued at you know over a billion dollars. Um, and, and even if you look at their study, you know, it's still got a net present value, I think of somewhere close to half a billion dollars. Anyhow, leading edge materials has the Nora Shar heavy rare earth asset in Sweden. I believe that is a real asset that will get real support from the North volts of the world. And this isn't a new story. Again, I wrote about this in, in 2016 and before that. Uh, but I think that, once they clear this $3.52 million placement that 
is largely insider participation. I think that stock is going to be off to the races. I think it will do very well. I think Nora Shar will be at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. And I think nobody's looking right now, which I'm glad you brought up rare earths because again, rare earths like gold stocks right now, if I, you know, IPO'd Gerardo's rare earth company, whatever, whatever, 2.0, yeah, I could probably go raise a quick $30 million, Nick. I, you know, you'd reach out to your network. I know you'd raise a couple of million real quick. And, um, you know, we'd call a couple of our friends and they'd say, well, hey, Gerardo doesn't know what to do with rare earths. He doesn't know how to process them. He's not an engineer. He's not a metallurgist. He's never, you know, he's ne- he's never done this, but it says rare earth in the name. I'm sure we could invest, you know, at the $3 million seed round and take it to $30 million, sell the stock, make 10% or 10, you know, make tenfold returns in less than three months and just ride the rest out. And let's hope, uh, let's hope this trend continues. That's the business model right now for a lot of these gold stocks and a lot of rare earth stocks. And again, that's all fine. I've seen companies go from eight cents to $9 from 24 cents to $18. And unfortunately, those were round trips, you know, and luckily I was, I was, I was able to, you know, kind of see that that was happening and was able to take profits. And so just be cautious out there, people. But I don't know if that answers your question, Nick. I, I, I do believe that governments around the world are very serious about tackling the issue. I don't think the issue is something that can be tackled in a year or two years or even three years. This is going to require, you know, a lot of capital, a lot of human capital and some time. And if we have a sustainable solution by the end of this decade, and I'm not talking about just one or two com- companies, I'm talking about a, a, a an actual a vertically integrated supply chain um, here in the US and in Europe, if we had that in place by the end of this decade, um, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised, but that's about how long I think it takes. So the trend has legs. It's a real problem. It needs real solutions. There's very bright people that are working to contribute to that. And let's hope that technology does, when it does things right and well, um, let's hope that it does what it's known to do, which is surprise to the upside. And, you know, hopefully things are accelerated and development is 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 is, is expedited. But, you know, we, we've talked Tesla and how Elon Musk brings out the best and worst in people. People either believe he's the second coming of Einstein or people believe he's, you know, yeah, P.T. Barnum, right? It's one of the two. There seems to be no middle ground on this guy. But I've repeatedly told everybody, regardless of what you feel about the guy, Tesla's got a real competitive advantage because it's got real miles with their autopilot or whatever people want to call it. It's got real miles that, frankly, nobody else is catching up. If they don't buy them out, you know, you're going to be at a disadvantage always you lost. You're not making your own batteries. You don't have the data that the company has and you can't simulate that in a model. You can't put that in an algorithm and 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 come out with real outcomes. You can model all you want. There it's different when you have the the, the actual data from real miles. And I, and I think that's why everybody will always play catch up to Tesla unless, you know, they all learn to play nice in the sandbox together. So, well, and he might be in a sexual relationship with Bill Gates and so may or may not be involved in the <laughs> conspiracy theory with the COVID and the, and the vaccine and the silver. So um, who knows? And, um, you know, someone was telling me to your point about uh, Gerardo's Rare Earth Company that uh, they thought I might have helium on my land. And so... Uh, you have a, a, a rare earth company and, and I'll start a helium venture and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> you remember our blockchain picture from way back when at the New Orleans <laughs> conference, we were telling oh, yeah. everybody that we were raising capital for a blockchain company and people were interested. They were eager. And then we just showed them a picture and it was a picture of a brick with a chain wrapped around it. And, you know, I think it spoke to the eagerness of people to chase trends a lot of money to be made chasing trends, folks. But just remember to take some off the table. Do something nice for yourself. Buy something you wouldn't otherwise buy. Invest in something you might not otherwise invest in. And, um, you know, it, it, 
just just be smart about how you play it, folks. Don't hold everything forever because it's uh, what's what's the line about the burning matches that our friend likes to use, Nick? That's it. All the junior mining stocks are burning matches, and if you hold them long enough, you're gonna get burned. There you go. So I don't know if that answered your rare earth question, but yeah, no, no, it's 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 a real problem. Uh, it needs real solutions. Smart people working on it. Let's see if uh, we can make some money with it. But I think leading edge materials, you know, which has other assets that I really like, by the way, is a, an excellent way, an excellent way to play it. And a company that hasn't participated in the run up that I think will very soon. Sometimes when we touch, <laughs> the too much. It's what the state of the world. Out? That's it. That's the state of the world, everybody. I'm going to send you off with a song from Nick. I'm Gerardo Del Real. It's been a blast here with Mr. Nick Hodge. This was episode 80 of Bizarro World. Be safe, be nice, be kind to each other. And if you disagree, do so civilly, everybody. Take care. See ya.